You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday the 8th of February and we'll start this week with semlor, the creamy buns that are about to be eaten in huge quantities in Sweden. Before we go on to talk about the news, including planned changes to improve the situation for Ukrainian refugees in Sweden, why Swedish authorities are shutting down an investigation into the sabotage of a Baltic gas pipeline, how a freezer malfunction at a Swedish university led to the destruction of decades worth of scientific samples and we'll discuss an alleged Iranian plot to kill Jews in Sweden and we look at how widespread anti-Semitism is in Sweden today. I'm Paul O'Mahony and with me today in Stockholm is James Savage and we are joined from Malmö by Becky Waterton. How are things with you? Yeah, good. I'm quite enjoying the fact that it's uh, getting lighter in the mornings so it doesn't feel quite as grim to get out of bed anymore. Mm, it is definitely nicer. How about you, James? That's <laughs> yeah, all good. All good. Yeah. I've got a quick question for you, actually, yeah. James. So at the at the very end of the podcast, we've started mentioning that you're the publisher. Can you just explain what that means and why we're mentioning it? Yes. So as the publisher of a newspaper, magazine or podcast, you have responsibility for what is said in it. So mm. that if, um, anyth- if we say anything wrong, if someone wants to sue us, then they go for me, not for any of the indi- not for any of the individual journalists. I take responsibility for what is in the in the podcast, and this means this means that we get extra protection um, under the Swedish constitution. It actually means that the bar is set higher for for people who want to sue us. So so if you have a responsible publisher, we're registered with the authorities here. I am registered as the as a publisher with with the authorities here, and that means that we um, we get constitutional free speech protections. Mm. Um, we can still be sued, but the bar is the bar is set higher. And it also means that we're also subject to certain voluntary restrictions. So we're part of the Swedish media ethical system. So people can also report us to Media Ombudsmannen, which mm. is an ombudsman for, the, for, for media. But in order to be covered by that, the local, the website is covered by this. But in order for the pod to be covered by those constitutional protections, we have to also mention the fact that I am the publisher yeah. in the or, podcast. Which is called the Ansvarig Utivare in the, Swedish. The Ansvarig Utivare. Yeah, which is what you hear at, at the end of a lot of Swedish newspapers, podcasts. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got Shrove Tuesday coming up this week and we'll hear in a moment from an expert on the history of Fetti Stagen, as it's known in Sweden. But first, let's 
talk about Semlor, the buns that often cause queues at bakeries across the land on Shrove Tuesday. Becky, what exactly is a Semla and how should you eat it if you want to fit in? Simply put, it's a yeasted wheat bun with the top calf, which is then filled with almond paste, a lot of whipped cream and topped with icing sugar. And the way you're meant to eat it is that like the bit of the bun that you cut off gets put on top of the cream. So you take that off like a lid and then you use it as a spoon to scoop up the cream before eating the rest of the bun, which is normally the only way you can eat it without the insides getting all over the place. There are also parts of Sweden which supposedly serve it in a bowl of warm milk known as hetvig, but that's definitely not something I've seen down here in Skolna. And to be honest, I think there's enough dairy in a similar as it is. Yeah, fair point. Uh, how do you eat yours, James? I do exactly like like Becky said. I take the lid off, I scoop up the cream and then I shove the rest of my gob. Yeah, um, you, and, are and I've never, Swe- you are a Swedish citizen in fairness. I, I am indeed. But not. I'm not so Swedish that I that I, I, that I eat it as a hetveg. I have never eaten my semla in a bowl of warm milk. Whatever you do, do not try and eat it like a burger because it will not end well for you. Oh, yeah, you, you'll <laughs> squish the cream everywhere. <laughs> it's a mistake you make only once. We're going to hear now from Jonas Engman, who's an ethnologist and curator at the Nordic Museum in Stockholm. And I asked him to tell us a bit about Fetisdagen and Shrovetide traditions in Sweden. Well, uh, since we were Catholics up until the 16th century, we have traditions still left that we are supposed to, but we don't actually do it, but we're supposed to have a fast between after the Fetisdag and 40 days up till Easter, which is common in, in almost every Christian societies. Uh, Fetisdag is the last day of the preparation for the fasta, for the fast. And that, that's when you are supposed to, if you're, you were able in this poor country that Sweden was in the 19th century and before that, you're supposed to eat as much as you can. Kind of all, almost a kind of carnivalesque idea of exaggeration if you could afford it, which very few could. And this uh, uh, semla, this uh, pastry, is uh, let's say the 20th century version of this exaggerated eating. Mm. How old is that bun? How old is the semla? Semla is, depends on what you mean, because we nowadays we mix the the word hetveg heath wall yeah. in, and uh, semla when heat wall or het veg was a kind of a more robust meal actually mm. but it's very like a semla but without the cream maybe with almond paste in and you were supposed to eat it in warm milk which some people still do yes some people do that mm. because but it it's re- doesn't really resemble semla because it's semla is more delicate and this is more rough bread, a little bit more rough bread. But it's presented as a meal, actually, in the 19th century. If you go to me, uh, the papers, and they said, this is a meal. Then the semla is more like a pastry. And how do you eat your semla? Do you use the lid? No, I actually, I don't. I, I keep the lid for last okay. with a little bit of cream on. That's, for me, it's the best thing. So you take the lid off, eat the rest, and yeah. then come back to the lid. yes. Interesting. And these Lenten traditions, have those largely died out in Sweden? The fast, for example? Yes, unless if you're a kind of orthodox Christian or, or you're, you're truly into it. But that's very few. So yes, in practically it's it's uh, gone away. Uh, there's a kind of a, I like to think of these kinds of customs and traditions as a kind of cultural memory that is transmitted throughout generations and times and, and happen to survive all kinds of changes in society. And are there any other traditions on Fetisdagen? 
apart from the semla? Not really. We are supposed to eat semla, but nowadays we eat semla from, well, New Year up, up, up until Easter, I think. We have sort of deliberately misunderstood this tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so in English, we have this term Shrovetide, which refers to the three days leading up to and including Shrove Tuesday. Mm. Is there an equivalent in Sweden? Yes, of course. There's, it's the same thing. We we don't have the uh, name for all these three days more than we call it Fastlagen. Okay. Uh, the, the the three days before the Fasta, mm. uh, which is starts on the Wednesday, which we call Askonsta. Uh, Ash Wednesday. Ash, uh, yeah. Yes, Ash Wednesday. And we call not nowadays. People are not really aware of this. But before we called the Sunday the the Fleskstunda with the meat Sunday or. Okay. Um, so you're like, supposed and, to stuff your face with meat. Yeah, you suppose if you had, and mm. uh, Monday was Blue Monday for some reason, uh, and then the the Fettista. Does that come from German? Because I think they have Blau Probably. Montag in Germany. Yeah, as yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So, and so, what were you supposed to do on the Monday? The same thing, but one thing that Blue Monday and even Fettista, in if you go to the peasant society, that poor people, which were a lot in, in the villages, a lot. They could go around to the houses uh, in the village and uh, and the parish and beg, but they didn't get anything for free. So they were masked. They had a kind of carnivalesque costumes. Right. Uh, and maybe they performed some songs or something. So it was kind of what we call in, in the cultural historical research, we call it a kind of secret beggary. Mm. Beggary was forbidden. But this is a way of getting, giving people things to, that they could cope with the harsh. And this happened on Blue Monday. Blue Monday, and and I probably all three days in reality, but mo- I think mostly on Blue Monday. That was Jonas Engman. Before we move on to the news, I just want to mention that we're going to have a bonus episode on Wednesday, which is Valentine's Day, featuring an interview with the matchmaker Lamarck Thomas. Sweden is so different when it comes to dating and relationships compared to any other country in the world. Uh, I have ma- been matchmaking for 13 years and and in so many different countries and I've never found it as different as it is in Sweden. Make sure to tune in on Wednesday to hear the full interview with Lamarck Thomas. These Wednesday interviews are going to become a regular feature as part of our new Membership Plus subscription plan. And part of why we're offering this new plan is to fund more podcasts. So, for example, if enough people sign up, we're going to aim to start doing a daily news roundup. But this coming midweek episode will be free for everyone to listen to and we'll bring you more information about Membership Plus and a discount offer for podcast listeners in coming episodes. Now, onto the news, and we'll start with plans to improve the lives of Ukrainians who moved to Sweden after Russia launched its full-scale war two years ago. Uh, first off, Becky, what's the situation been like for Ukrainians who moved to Sweden under the EU's Temporary Protection Directive? Well, despite being here for over a year in most cases, they haven't actually been able to qualify for a personal number yet, which means that in many ways they're second-class citizens. A lot of our readers have had issues with not having a personal number. I mean, I didn't even have one for the first nine months that I lived here. And it essentially means that you can't take out any kind of contract, like a phone or internet contract, use bank ID or other forms of digital ID, make any kind of bank payment with Altogiro, among lots of other things. You know, you can't sign up for a membership card at IKEA. You can't sign up for a gym membership. 
membership. Lots of things. I'm not going to mention all of them here. You can't have Swish. It can be hard to get a bank account at all. And you can't access healthcare on the same terms as Swedes. You can't take a driving test. You can't get on the municipal housing queues to find somewhere to live. And for Ukrainians in particular, there are issues validating diplomas from Ukraine. The cards they're issued with from the migration agency can only be used to withdraw cash or pay for purchases in actual shops, which means they can't buy anything online. You know, you basically can't buy a flight ticket, for example. And besides all that, though, the daily allowance for Ukrainians during this period has been just 71 krona, and that hasn't increased with inflation. And what does the government plan to do to improve this? Well, the new plan is twofold. Increase the allowance and allow them to be registered, basically. So the plan is to push through this new law, which should be ready by the end of the year, according to the Migration Minister, Maria Malmastenogod. This will solve the personal number issue, as well as pushing up their daily allowance from 71 krona a day to 308 krona a day, which is still not a huge amount, but it would definitely make a difference in their daily lives. Yeah, it's a massive difference between 71 and 308 kroner. But why has it taken so long for them to do this? Well, essentially, Sweden's rules on personal numbers mean that you have to be able to prove you're going to be living in Sweden for at least a year. So that could be through a work permit, a residence permit or a study permit of sufficient length, for example. Up until now, there hasn't really been any kind of loophole or exception here for Ukrainians under the temporary protection directive to use, even if they've already been here for a year, as it can't really be backdated. So if you have been in Sweden for a year, that doesn't mean you automatically qualify for a personal number. In September last year, Migration Minister Maria Malmstenogod actually commented on this issue in Parliament following a petition by Ukrainians in Sweden, which we covered on the site, saying then that the issue was that legislation for people offered temporary protection in Sweden is over 20 years old and that they were working on a solution, but it would take time. So I guess this is this is what we're seeing now is the solution that she was talking about then. Okay, thanks Becky. And we'll post a link in the show notes to our article on this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Almost a year and a half has passed since pipelines used to transport gas from Russia to Germany were damaged by a series of blasts in the Baltic Sea. Sweden was one of the countries that launched an investigation into the alleged sabotage in its economic zone. But this week, Sweden dropped its investigation. Why, James? Well, because according to Swedish prosecutors, they had found no evidence Sweden or Swedish citizens were involved in the attack. Now, the explosions took place in international waters, but some occurred within Sweden's economic zone. But that wasn't seen as enough to mean that it was a a Swedish matter. And a security service, SEPO, added in a separate statement that Sweden and Swedish interests were just not targeted by this attack. Okay. So are there any other countries still investigating who might be behind the attacks? Yes, Germany. Now, while the attacks didn't occur in German waters either, it's certainly the case that German interests were affected. After all, this pipeline 
was built very controversially to carry gas from Russia to Germany. Reports late last year in the Washington Post and Der Spiegel linked the blast to Ukraine and to one particular former intelligence officer in particular. He has dismissed the claims as Russian propaganda. But anyway, the German investigation is continuing, so watch this space. Okay, thanks James for that roundup. Let's talk now about the very unfortunate story of a malfunctioning freezer at Karolinska Institute that led to the destruction of samples collected over decades for scientific research. What happened here, Becky? So these samples are stored in what is essentially a freezer, but what more specifically is a high-tech tank cooled with liquid nitrogen to minus 190 degrees C. They're designed to be able to survive four days without liquid nitrogen, but for some reason the supply cut off at the absolute worst moment possible between December 22nd and 23rd, so just before Christmas when basically everyone in Sweden is out of office and not checking their emails. These samples actually only went without liquid nitrogen for five days, but by then the damage had been done. I think the the temperature in some of them had gone up to like 22 degrees above freezing so the samples Mm. were all destroyed these samples won't affect any current patients but it's a major blow to Swedish cancer research and leukemia research in particular the university hasn't put an official figure on the value of the samples but Swedish media were saying it could be up to 500 million kroner and you know some of these studies have been ongoing for over 30 years so it is really kind of a big loss Mm. And what's the reaction been like from the university? Well, aside from the obvious disappointment that this has happened, the university has reported the incident to police. So that's not necessarily because they think that there was any sabotage or wrongdoing, but it's more to cover their bases and to make sure it's investigated just in case. For example, it can't be ruled out that it was a hacker attack, although there aren't any signs to suggest that it was a hacker attack either. According to an article in DN, there were known issues with the freezers at Karolinska detailed in an inspection report from last year, including regular false alarm notifications. Another freezer had broken in a similar way a few years ago, after which material was moved, but it's not clear why no measures were taken to fix the freezers or why there was no system in place to check alerts. Some people apparently did receive email alerts, but they weren't checking their inboxes over the holidays, so these were ignored. I think also it's worth underlining the importance of this loss of research too. I mean, Karolinska's dean, Matti Selberg, said that this could mean that some of these researchers may have to abandon projects entirely, or at least review research plans they'd had for the next five years or so. So it's a real setback for the medical research community in Sweden. Yeah, it really is. Okay, thanks, Becky. One shocking story this week concerned news of the deportation of an Iranian couple suspected of plotting to kill Jews in Sweden. What can you tell us about this story, James? Well, this is an extraordinary and chilling plot by this couple who are alleged to be Iranian intelligence agents. Um, According to Swedish radio, the pair had identified three targets and had gathered addresses and photos. So quite advanced plans. One of the people targeted was Aron Vestendig, who's chair of the official council of Swedish Jewish communities and a well-known public figure. So the alleged culprits called Madi Ramezani and Fereshte Sane Farid had come to Sweden posing as Afghan refugees, although they were actually Iranian. They were arrested quite a long time ago, back in 2021, And while there wasn't enough evidence to take the case to court, they were deported the following year as a security risk. So it's happened quite a long time ago, but it's only come to light now as a result of an investigation by Swedish Radio. Okay, I chatted earlier today with Oron Verstendig, who, as you mentioned, is the chairman of the Official Council of Swedish Jewish Communities. And I asked him first 
what it was like to hear about this alleged murder plot against him. It was surreal. I got this information. I, I was called to the offices of the Sweden Security Police. This was in September 2021, so almost two and a half years ago. And when I got this information, I, I, it was really very difficult to, to understand the, the, the scope of it. But after a while, I got more and more information. And I think the prosecutor really wanted to indict these persons here in Sweden, but mm. he didn't succeed in, in getting enough evidence. So, so they were uh, deported uh, eventually and the case was closed. And then I sort of didn't think so much about it until I was contacted by the journalists from the Swedish uh, public service. So have you been able to live a normal life since then? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I mean, especially during the fall of 2021, when this was sort of un ongoing and, and we had meetings with the uh, prosecutor and with the uh, security police uh, and our attorney, I think it was really on, on, on top of my mind for a couple of months. And then I thought of... Uh, Thought about it sometimes, but uh, I have managed to 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 live my life as in in general and normally. So this was in 2021, as you say, when you found out about this alleged plot. If we jump to the present day and the general situation for Jews in Sweden. So one thing that tends to happen when the state of Israel is involved in an escalation of hostilities is that attacks on Jews increase. Have you seen that happen in Sweden over the past few months? Yeah, I think the, the development that we have seen in Sweden since October 7th, I mean, bef before Israel entered, or the Israeli soldiers entered the Gaza Strip, uh, is a very, very sharp increase uh, when it comes to anti-Semitic hate crimes. And I think the development that we have seen in Sweden is, is quite similar to, to most Western European countries. And what does it look like, these uh, anti-Semitic hate crimes look like? What sort of form have they taken? Fortunately, so far, we haven't seen any very serious hate crimes in terms of serious violence or stuff like that. But it's, it's the threat on social media, threats that are sent to Jewish persons. There are bullying and harassment uh, in, in the school environment, also in workplaces. So, so those kind of cases. But I would also like to emphasize that the absolute vast majority of Swedes are very much distancing themselves from these kind of incidents. It's a very small minority of, of people who are committing these kind of crimes. Mm -hmm. Now, you're the chairman of the Official Council of Swedish Jewish Communities. What are your communities telling you about the situation in Sweden today? How concerned are people? I mean, they are concerned because they, they receive reports from, uh, from members um, that have been targeted with anti-Semitic hate crimes. But on the other hand, a lot of Swedish Jews feel the support of the government, feel uh, in many cases also the support from, from the, the authorities. I saw one survey showing that a lot of Jews in Sweden were considering moving. Yeah, this survey I think you're mentioning is, is a survey that we did among mm. members of the Jewish communities in Sweden in November last year. And it showed that I think about 70% of the respondents have considered uh, leaving Sweden. So, so that's definitely something that I've heard. On the other hand, we haven't seen a large number of Swedes, Swedish Jews leaving the country. And I think one of, one of the reasons is that people have felt the support from the authorities and from the vast majority of, of, of the Swedish population. So just one final question, touching on that. Do you think Sweden is doing enough to combat anti-Semitism? I think the Swedish authorities could perhaps be a bit better in prosecuting and following up on hate crimes. But I think the, 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 
the major issue that needs to be fixed is, is the civil society. That there, you, you have a lot of civil society organizations that combat that racism uh, in different forms, but they tend to neglect the type of racism, anti-Semitism, which is directed towards uh, Jews. The Jews are sometimes, in those eyes, perceived as a white people who have uh, uh, large economic resources, which is not true, and, and therefore they tend to uh, neglect issues regarding anti-Semitism. And I think that that's a very important issue. That was Oron Verstendig. And just going back, James, to these allegations against Iran, further details emerged, didn't they, after this plan to target Jews in Sweden? Yes. Sweden's head of counter-espionage at the security service, uh, Seppo, he told Swedish radio that that Seppo had foiled several attacks by Iran and that Iranian operations were still ongoing in Sweden, though he didn't give more details on what those operations were for security reasons. Uh, just one last thing before we go. The government has revealed new details on its plans to introduce stop and search zones to target gang crime and which are due to come into force at the end of March. Can you tell us, James, about this latest development? Yeah, well, this is a plan that's been heavily trailed. But now on Thursday morning, the governing parties have announced more details. So the plans mean that police will be able to stop and search people in certain areas where gang crime is prevalent or where there's a high risk of shootings or bombings. But they'll be able to do that even if they have no concrete reason to suspect the individual they're stopping of a crime. So that's the real innovation here, if you like. There was some interesting comments from Liberal spokesman Martin Malin, who where they were talking about how they would identify people to stop and search. He said they may do it based on their clothing style, for example. So he said, for example, Gucci caps or perhaps fake Gucci caps were popular in the criminal community. And so people wearing these might be singled out to be searched. So if you have a Gucci cap, you might want to leave it at home. Okay, uh, let me just check my notes here. So you're quoting somebody there from the Liberal Party. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> That's all for this week. Thank you for listening and a special thanks to those of you who have left ratings or reviews. We really appreciate it. Our panellists today were James Savage and Becky Waterton. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back on Wednesday with a bonus episode. Sweden in Focus is a podcast from the local Europe. The publisher is James Savage. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.